We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Deconstructing the perfect draft strategy to set you up for a perpetually reloading Dynasty Championship team. We talk about keeping the championship window open. We haven't really discussed it here on Rotoviz OT of how to do that from day one of your Dynasty League. So, Sean, we've mentioned on some recent shows, is drafting with Bjorn over at the FFPC in a Rotoviz Triflex League. If you want to check out the FFPC, you can find all their information, their leagues, and so on. We play best ball over their dynasty and much, much more. It is myffpc.com. But we are going to look today specifically at that draft through 10 rounds to see what Sean and Bjorn have done and how they have just stockpiled picks for 2024 and beyond. Obviously, those are for next year's draft, but can be used to move in future picks in this draft to get up to prime spots that they want for players that might be at the end of a tier, for example, but also for additional firepower throughout the rest of this offseason and throughout the season. There's lots of ways that those picks can turn into future value. So I'm very excited to dive into this because it is a topic that we haven't fully dived into from a startup perspective. And uh, we are also going to run through some of the selection, some of the players that they drafted and maybe why they moved into position to get those guys. Sean, excited for today's show, our third show of the week, airing here on Friday. How are we? And uh, how, how excited, just in general, are you? Or how do you feel before we get into players, picks, anything else? Through these 10 rounds, the draft plan that you may have put in to try and execute, we talked about the first round. Previously, you weren't able to move from the 111. It is a B. John Robinson pick at that point. But just without going into the rest of the picks, the players, after 10 rounds, how are you feeling with how you've been able to maneuver around and the players you've been able to select so far? Well, I was remarking to Bjorn that it felt like this had just been a magical run. This is really the perfect example of what we're trying to accomplish. And if a couple of trades hadn't happened, if a couple of guys hadn't made it to where we were looking to take them, it would have been frustrating. It wouldn't have ruined the build by any stretch but everything continued to hit all the way through here and so now we're set up for the long run in such a dynamic fashion that i mean i just can't wait to play this out and one of the things that's so awesome about the rv triflex leagues 
is that to get the 101, you need to actually have a decent team in most cases. It's not a matter of purely tanking. You don't want to go into a high dollar league. This is a 750 entry that Bjorn and I are doing. You don't want to go into these leagues and have, you know, like six, seven, eight teams who are going after Caleb Williams, but they're doing it by trying to lose all of their games. That that just makes for a horrible experience for everyone who is trying to win. You don't want to get down to the final weeks to make the playoffs. We're jockeying for that all-important buy. We talk all the time about how important that buy is. You don't want some teams to be getting through with 105 points and still getting the victory points that you get for winning. Now, there's a point element as well, I should say. That's another great part of this. You have some victory points that come into play. But you don't want a team to skate through the last couple of weeks despite not really doing anything themselves because they're going against tanking teams. There still is, you know, that tiny little incentive for that. But the great thing about this league is that you can go for the playoffs. If you hit seventh instead of sixth and miss, then now you're firmly in the mix to get Williams. The other thing that's great about that is it opens up a start that has a lot of pathways. So I think that most people are going to look at this team that Bjorn and I have drafted and say, you're punting your one I'll leave that up to the listeners to decide what they think about that. But it's not really the case in terms of how I'm looking at it, at least personally. It's a very young team. If the guys hit, then ending up you know, with the three seed, the four seed, the five seed, something in there, and having a better team when it matters in the fantasy playoffs than we have for the first six weeks of the season is you know, highly likely. So this is absolutely perfect. We can go for it in year one if we miss can still be dynamic in the back draw but also as you mentioned i mean this team is now set up to be a powerhouse for a decade and that gives us so many more options in terms of what we can do along the way and what types of risks that we can take because we have those risks backed up with so many different assets that become so many different potential paths so instead of making those claims and not getting into the nitty-gritty column Let's start to break this down and, and see what we did. Yeah, so the, the 111 stayed put. That's where you start off your draft. There's no trades that happened. We did talk previously just to add it in again. If you can move in those first rounds, it can add so much value in terms of what you can receive. But Sean, there is no pick in the second round. There is no pick in the third round. You don't pick again to the fourth round. And I'm just going to give a general overview. We'll get into maybe some of the trades that took back larger hauls than others. In the fourth round, you have your own pick. You make it. No pick in the fifth round. Three selections in the sixth round, including your own. Pick in the seventh round, not your own pick. Pick in the eighth round, not your own pick, but one pick in each of those rounds. Ninth round, we get two selections, your own plus another. In the tenth round, you haven't made that second selection yet, but you have two picks there, your own plus another. So lots that has happened, but people will have heard there that I mentioned no second round pick, no third round pick, no fifth round pick. And that means, Sean, through those opening four, five rounds, sorry, you only make two selections. I will say that the second one of those is Jackson Smith and Jigba at the 4-0-2. But there is obviously a lot of maneuver in there, Sean. So this is the part that can be very difficult in a startup for people to be comfortable with is you are trading back, but you're trading out of the key rounds, the second round and the third round, those picks may, and we'll talk about what happened in this draft, they may go into this year's draft later on. They may go into future drafts. They may go into a combination of both. But when you go through those opening five rounds with just two players, it feels like 
you're really setting yourself up for a, a tough task ahead. And this is obviously super flex format. So there's quite a few quarterbacks going in those opening three rounds. Taking B. John Robinson means there's no availability then at quarterbacks. But in this format, you can only draft three quarterbacks in the startup, which does free up some options later on, as we'll potentially get to talk about. But John, how can people be comfortable with, you know, okay, it's great to trade back. I'm getting future picks. I'm getting later picks in this draft. But that also means I'm not getting players in those rounds. So I mentioned true five rounds. Your team is B. John Robinson, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. But with those two players and the moves back, what are we looking at for acquired future picks and current picks in this draft for, I guess, the sacrifice of making the selections at your your spot? Yes, when we look at those second and third rounds and we're thinking about how we want to approach it, it's certainly not a case that you have to move out of that area. I think that there are definitely some wide receivers who you're going to have a lot of interest in. You're going to have interest in Lamb and Wilson and Waddle and Amon Ra, perhaps a Chris Olave. But big picture, you're looking at young wide receivers who may still have a little bit of the unproven element. You're going to be looking at overvalued QBs. You're going to be looking at some of the older tight ends who don't give you that long window to win. And you're going to be looking at some frankly pretty interesting running backs but when we're trying to figure out how to build for the long term we know that those guys can lose a lot of their value very quickly now i should say that I actually have the three running backs who go in round three Brees hall is the 302 christian mccaffrey the 305 jameer gibbs the 307 i have all of those guys as values relative to my ranking so i don't have any problem with making those picks but also when we're thinking about what we can accomplish by moving out I don't think that rounds two and rounds three kill you in a way that in any way balances out what you can potentially get when you trade down and maybe occasionally out, but mostly down. So there are really three main things that we've accomplished by moving back here and to work through the three of them. Number one, what we've accomplished is to get a ton of, of future picks so we can go through a few of the trades in detail but the big picture is that we are now in the middle of round 10 and you look to next year's rookie draft we have two firsts our own and one others we have six second round picks three thirds three fourths two fifths two six three sevenths there is so much that you can do when you have those picks i believe right now we have 11 of the first 36 overall pick so you have a third of the high value rounds thinking about rounds one two and three but also i recommend people consider what can happen in some of those other rounds and all you have to do is think to a player like a justin ross for example where if you have picks in round four round five round six you can load up on some of those types of players without worrying that okay well probably he's never going to make an nfl roster but you create that optionality where now if he does, when you're essentially talking about a guy who could be worth you know, a borderline first, second round pick at some point in the future. So when you're thinking, okay, you can't keep all of those players, a lot of those picks are worthless, it's just definitely not the case. That optionality is hugely value if for no other reason than once you get into those drafts, even late picks will help 
move a, a different type of trade. The more pieces that you have, the more creativity you can employ when you're working with other managers to help them accomplish their objectives. So number one, we have a huge amount of value. Number two, we're able to get the position that we like at pretty decent prices. And so once you get through seven rounds, our wide receiver group looks like JSN, Traylon Burks, George Pickens, Brandon Ayuk, and Zay Flowers. And so you have five guys, you're building out the overall receiver depth, and you're doing it almost exclusively with youth. So you do have some risk, but when you hit, the returns are very outsized. And even sometimes if you miss on guys with this type of profile, you can then move them without having lost a lot of value because they're young. If you miss in the same way on a 26, 27 year old player, especially if that player was not an absolute star to start with, then your trade value really goes through the floor. So you're building out this position that is so important in dynasty. And then the third thing that you're doing is you're allowing yourself to benefit from your own rankings. And we talk a lot about trading down and trading down being your superpower. And we occasionally get questions about like how that works and you know what do you really mean there? And I feel like we've talked about it in ways that definitely make sense and are interesting. I think you can certainly see in terms of the wide receiver group that we've put together that you would probably be just as happy with that as having maybe some safer guys who are a little bit older. You like having the full group built out to that extent. But one of the things that we're doing by trading down is we're again creating a lot of optionality. So when we get to the end of round 12 in this draft, not only do we have all of those future rookie picks that I talked about, but we're also gonna have 15 guys. And so you can look at our rankings. Obviously the rankings are set up in tiers to give you approximate trade values one thing i would say on that is that you know definitely take the rankings and then work through the scenarios in your own head to make sure that those trade values are going to apply to your type of format but when you have 15 guys in the first 12 rounds and you think of even some of the players that you can get there in that kind of round 12-ish area when you're talking about players like a trey mcbride or a cole Komet, yeah maybe not all of those guys hit but when you think about tight end premium you think about the potential big win that you get from a tight end who is young and then emerges, you're going to have the field tilting ability that that guy gives you by actually being a scorer at a position where it's hard to get points, but you're also going to get him for this peak time period where you can play him two, three, four, even five years and then trade him and make this gigantic profit. Again, there's going to be some risk there. Not all of those guys are going to hit. If you have fewer than the 12 picks if you say you paid to move up and you have nine picks or 10 picks as opposed to the 15 picks that we have then i mean you can't take as many of those risks because every risk you take and don't win on is going to hurt you but that's still not the best way to articulate what you're actually accomplishing here i think the best way to articulate it is that when you're looking at rounds two and three you're looking at guys where generally speaking the adp and the rankings are going to work in concert at least to an extent now my rankings tend to be more more different 
than most people's, even when you're talking about early. But when you are talking about having a pick at, say, 207 or 210 or 302, how much can you really benefit from being right versus the community? And how much can you really expect to get in terms of a draft follower? Those guys are contained in narrow enough ranges that your ability to exploit it is going to be somewhat limited. Whereas when you continue to move down, then you move into a range where ADP followers are more likely, but there's also a bigger gap between your rankings and actual ADP. Now, I'm not saying you should be reaching all of the time. One of the things that you get here is that you can move down, you can play the ADP game, and then still take your own targets. So one of the things that we get in this particular draft is that we get JSN at the 402 when I have him ranked at like the 205. And so you get this massive rankings win. But it wasn't just moving down for that one selection. We traded the 202 for the 304 and the 408. So instead of making a pick at the 202 where you're kind of locked into whatever the community says is the value, there's only so much you can profit. Once you get down to the 304 and the 408, then you can profit at both of those picks. And then what we actually did was to continue to move off of them. We moved the 304 for the 403 and two seconds, right? We moved the 311 for the 608 and the 712. We move the 403 for the 610 and the 703. We move the 408 for the 87 and a future first. Every time that you create more picks in this range between, say, 5 and 10, you have multiple chances to benefit from the gaps between ADP and your own rankings. So that, I think, is the value of trading down and how it becomes your superpower you're not always going to be right. And yet you are going to basically be drafting off of your rankings, how you see the players. And when you are right, the value in that is increased so dramatically by having moved down into places where those gaps are larger. You're taking a bigger advantage. You have more picks and you can take advantage twice. So when you're doing a two for one relatively early, you don't just benefit from it once you benefit from it twice and you benefit from the possibility of also being able to retrade that pick when you make a selection that's locked in when you move back then you can retrade it and you can profit over and over and over again and so to make all of those moves you're going to need to build relationships with the people in your league in most cases and yet when other drafters know that you have the flexibility within your overall draft strategy that you're willing to trade the pick that they want because their guy is there and they don't know that he's going to last. When they know that you're willing to make a trade and it doesn't even have to exactly be a fair trade. I would say that in some of these trades, we got pretty decent surplus value, but the willingness to work with them to be flexible to actually move that pick and to move it, I mean, one of the things that you want to do here is you're going to move for small wins as opposed to holding a pick hostage and saying, okay, I think that you want this pick and you're going to pay a huge premium. You know, once you do that to a couple of different managers, then people stop coming to you with offers. If you're working with them and saying, okay, we can get this done. Let's just work through kind of where I have the value versus where you have the value. You can make a lot of these picks. And so Again, Colin, I think that that way to express 
trading down being a superpower is really for me the piece that unlocks it all or expresses it in a way that I think helps you see what the advantages are and see that they're both cascading advantages and multiple advantages, not just now, but in the future. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think you've summarized that up really well. And, you know, I like to, when I try and think of things or visualize things, I'm quite a visual person when I try and think of what one thing means in a different way. We often get people talking about, you know, fantasy football, like the stock market or, you know, buying, buying players at certain ADP and selling players at other ADPs and different values, for example. But when you explain it in that sense, it feels a lot more like, and I don't know, I'm sure some of our listeners out there have pension plans, you know, or, they may be involved in the stock market, but when it comes to compounding interest, it sounds a lot like when we're describing perpetual reloading in terms of you're making all these moves, you're making these little investments, you're moving back, but those all compile on top of each other. And some of them will mature in 2023. But what I wanted to get to is this team now, Sean, you have gone and you have started off the draft. I mentioned two picks through five rounds, but when you get to the point of, Round seven, you have six selections made. That is Bijan Robinson, JSN, Traylon Borks, George Pickens, Brant Nayuk, Zay Flowers. When you get in then to the eighth round, it's Sam Laporta, Michael Mayer, and then you take Mac Jones. So at that point through nine rounds, you have nine selections made. You're into round 10. You pick Sam Howell, you know, another one of our prime quarterback targets. And then, as you mentioned, by the time you get through round 12, you're going to have made more picks than any of the other teams in that range. You also mentioned about, you know, if you're on the clock and somebody has a player that they really want, one of the trades you made was for a player or another manager to then draft Saquon Barkley, and that turned out to be quite a lucrative offer for you. So there is players who want to move up to get those, and that's kind of cashing out on that pick at that point. But what I wanted to make the point of is this team will be ready to compete this year. So it's not a case that you're you know, punting year one, completely cashing out and, and waiting to see what happens with your future investment. You're paying into this league, which is $750. So you want to try and compete this year. But the second part is these players, when you have drafted them, the oldest player outside of Mac Jones, so the oldest non-quarterback through the entire draft so far, 10 rounds, is Brant Nayuk. Brant Nayuk is after the March 17th this year for Irish people out there, for people in America, that is St. Patrick's Day. So his birthday, we'll remember that for all future episodes, St. Patrick's Day. But he turned 25. So the oldest player on this roster at that point is 25 years old. 
these players are going to continue to ascend in value even if it's a case that this year doesn't go perfect for them they'll still have some movement as you mentioned uh earlier in this episode for next year but the other part that you get into is as these players develop Bijan is a rookie jsn's a rookie trail and works is in the second year but let's say those first two guys and then sam laporte and michael mayer those guys come in and they're not all going to hit but if we see them increase in value you are having a team then that is arriving into 2024 that has increased in value from this year you haven't really punted this season but you also have that complete treasure chest of picks to go along with it so the the team entering year two it is going to have a chance this year but it becomes a real juggernaut next year and then it becomes kind of that perpetual motion machine where it's just reloading year on year the picks you're going to be on the clock next year somebody's going to want to move up you're going to move that pick into the future year potentially for moving up around for example and it continues then to reload 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 and because this team is starting off so young it's also giving you that option to increase in value to play those players for let's say the three-year window to move them at the peak of their value let's say jsn turns out to be something similar to Garrett Wilson in two years or Chris Olave or Amara St. Brown. You're moving him on at that point after getting to play him for two seasons because if he gets into that range as a second-round startup in ADP, he's going to have to have produced a lot in these upcoming seasons. So it continues then. It's not a self-fulfilling prophecy, Sean, but uh, it feels a little bit like it once you start off with the additional resources you've been able to acquire for future years as well as this year with the players you've been able to draft. And I think that even extends to the QB position. A lot of listeners are going to justifiably be skeptical of our quarterbacks in Mac Jones and Sam Howell. One of the things that you want to take advantage of in the RV Triflex leagues, and then in leagues where it's not capped, you want to be aware of how your format is likely to develop. But in the RV Triflex, you have the limit of the three QBs. So you know that you're going to get some QB options that you like in this 9-10 round range to give a little bit of a feel Aaron Rodgers went at the 803, Purdy at the 810 in terms of trade moves that we made where, you know, maybe you're saying to yourself, you know, was it fully worth it? I mean, being able to get Purdy, I think with the weapons that he has, that would have been another one of these picks where you look down the line and say, I mean, that was such an easy selection for what you're going to get there. Derek Carr, the 901, Mac Jones, the 911, Trey Lance, the 912. We picked Howell at 10.02. Desmond Ritter goes the next selection at 10.03. Matthew Stafford at 10.06. But one of the things that I want to talk about in terms of QBs is that when you have generated a lot of future assets, then you can take some more risks. Also, when you have put together an ultra elite starting lineup other than the QB position, the amount of scoring that you need to be at the same level as these other teams is a little bit less. So one of the questions that we do get from time to time is, you know, how are you on Daniel Jones, who ends up going at the 209 in this draft? So you can see the extreme advantage just from one year to the next. How are you on Jared Goff? You know, how are you on Derek Carr for whatever good that is? How are you on a Geno? And the answer is that we're thinking in terms of scenarios probabilities how to price those but also how to create a roster that is balanced across some different qb profiles that give you 
some of the objectives that you're looking for. So when you think about some of these pass-oriented QBs who go in round one, I mean, you're thinking about a Joe Burrow, a Justin Herbert, a Trevor Lawrence. Mostly what you're getting there is going to be a high floor and longevity. When you look at a Mac Jones at the end of round nine, there's a pretty decent chance that you're getting a similar type of longevity without quite the same floor. With Sam Howell, you're looking at a guy with hybrid abilities. You contrast that with the guys who are going in round one and a Josh Allen, a Jalen Hurts, a Lamar Jackson, a Justin Fields. I mean, Sam Howell might already be a better passer than Justin Fields. We haven't seen him run at the NFL level, but we've seen him do it in college. When you're drafting guys at this point in the draft, you're not saying to yourself, these are guaranteed hits and we're going to win because of it. You're saying we're creating pathways and some of those pathways are going to hit. And when they do, because we structure the team like this, the benefit that we get is very outsized and that we can do this over multiple seasons where, I mean, Mac Jones is, is a fantastic example and I think a fantastic opportunity because you're getting a guy who was just extraordinary his final year in college was a good rookie QB was drafted early so you've got these three different pieces that suggest either a that he's actually good or b that teams are going to give him a lot of chances both his own drafting team and some other teams now the reviews in camp for Mac Jones have been fantastic I don't know that we want to lean into that and say okay well I mean he's arrived he's here you certainly still are going to have some issues scoring points in fantasy for him. But Mac Jones is basically a young version of what you're getting when you're taking those plays on a Jerry Goffrey, Geno Smith, and you look at those guys and they're going in rounds five and six, right? You could make the argument, I think that most people would push back on it, but you could make the argument that you're essentially getting the same thing you get from a Bryce Young or a CJ Stroud in terms of what the near-term actual scoring potential is so when we're taking these guys in young who goes at the 311 and stroud who goes at the 403 and in both of those cases those are actually falling guys relative to adp i mean you have to pay more than that in most leagues you're talking about pass oriented players who are entering an environment where their weapons are terrible and so you've got to pay a lot and then even as rookies you're not necessarily going to know what they can do and you're not going to probably get that many points from them now that's not to say they couldn't score in the same way that we're not completely giving up on Mac Jones scoring. I mean, there are some scenarios that are you know, probably a little bit limited where any of those guys goes off and ends up helping you, but you're trying to create as much exposure to the types of jumps that you get when a player hits on, even in many of these cases, just the median outcome. With how you have this massive range of outcomes where he could be anything from you know, a, a one-two turn player next year to completely out of the nfl not drafted at all and so if you're going to take him then you need to take him in a situation where you've built a team where missing isn't going to be the piece that keeps you from being competitive for a long period of time we work through all of those different scenarios we're going to have a shot probably at guys like orion Tannehill later and i guess just to kind of round this all out and talk about why we might still be acquiring you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17th round picks in a situation where a lot of teams feel comfortable selling those. You do have a big emphasis on youth and dynasty. You also have a number of managers who 
will be trying to get some of these stars in the early rounds. And our research at Rotovis suggests that not only is that probably not great for Dynasty, it's also probably not even good for redraft when you're sort of thinking about it that way. What you want to do is once you get into rounds, you know, 10 through 20, I mean, for example, here, Alvin Kamara has not gone yet. And so when you have extra picks in this range, you can build out your youth and this great team that's going to ascend in value. And then to help your competitive this season, you can draft Kamara. And if you aren't competitive, but he does hit, which you can move you know, you can move it and so in rounds 10 through 20 you actually have a lot of shots on veteran players when other managers are then switching to taking guys who i mean it's not that they couldn't hit but i mean even players like a Jaden reed for example i mean someone who was just not that good in college and is in an offense in a situation where his likely you know near-term production isn't good now again i'm not saying he couldn't hit there are scenarios where he does but when you're thinking through the risk reward and you're thinking through where you want to be, when you get into round 17 through 20 and opposing managers are taking these wild swings, you can be loading up on guys who both help you and are tradable in the future. You think about like, where would I want to take some of these wild swings? Well, next year with your fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh round picks, you can take some wild swings. But even then, there are veterans who are also sprinkled in there where you just layer them onto your team, retrade them, what have you. It's easy to get the veteran safety component of it wrong and to be drafting those guys in the wrong place. You want to remember, even if you've built this incredible young team, if you get a value that helps you win late in a range where unproven players have just a vanishingly small chance of hitting, go ahead and take that veteran. Sean, just to add to that, if we look back at the recent rookie, obviously there's been a lot of positive reports since this, but you're on about six and seventh round picks for next season. We did take Justin Ross with the 611 in our recent draft for an FFPC Triflex format. So that has obviously changed a lot even since that draft point. But um, very, very valuable those picks can be when the veterans are sprinkled into those rookie drafts as well. I hope everyone's enjoyed listening into this. This has been, I think, a lot of fun for me. I, I really like talking these, uh, you know, perpetually loading questions and trying to answer some of the questions that listeners may have in a broader detail so a lot of great information thanks to sean obviously and bjorn for sharing their draft word as we go through this i think sean there's nothing there's nothing left to add is there only to make sure you check out bjorn's article on dynasty startups a data-driven approach to the perfect dynasty startup that will help you think through how you want to address your lineup positionally as you build out through these high leverage rounds, how you want to move through also anticipating what's going to happen in future rookie drafts. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Be sure to check that out. If you are signing up over Rotovision, you haven't already, you can use the code RV radio 2023 at checkout to get yourself a 10% discount off a Rotovis NFL pass, get you access to all of the content and tools up on the website. Really enjoyed this one. Hopefully you've enjoyed watching. And if you have enjoyed listening hit that subscribe button drop us a written interview on your favorite podcast app we really do appreciate all of that this is our friday edition of rotaviz ot we will be back on monday with another show coming your way my name is colin kelly you can follow me on twitter at over to marlin my co-host is sean siegel check sean's work up on rotaviz.com until next time have a good one 
Thank you for listening to Overtime on Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz with a discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.